This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. With me, as always, my good friend and co-host, Eric O'Branson. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Uh, good. Enjoying a long Labor Day weekend, which, yeah, um, yeah. you know, had no plans and was enjoying that. Ended up having a whole bunch of housework to do. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we did. started off having no plans and handed, you know, pretty much everybody we're related to wanting to get together at some point or another. So, tried to do our best with getting to see everyone, you know, obviously mm-hmm. social distanced outside safe get-togethers, but it was fun. We got, our kids got to play with their cousins for the first time in a long time since early in this pandemic. So, that's that's always nice getting the kids together. So, yeah, you know, got to and see you know, some I, family I, I, and that's... I kind of like how people are starting to get a little more innovative with ways of making this work. You know, like yeah. people have <laughs> people have cookouts and everybody just kind of sits apart and you have like a grill, you kind of cook your own stuff and mm-hmm. eat your own stuff and you've got your own cooler, but you're just visiting. Or I love how, and I haven't done one yet, but I love how drive-in movies have become a thing again. Yeah, yeah. If there's anything that's a silver lining, I mean, there are, there are quite a few actually but that that's definitely one of them is the return of the drive-in hopefully that sticks around yeah now there have been some kind of weird things that have been done with that and i'm not gonna i'm not trying to disparage any names but um that being said the the fucking garth brooks concert that was being shown at drive-ins and it was like a hundred dollars a car to watch a live stream no (laughs) (laughs) that's ridiculous The price is too steep is the thing. It's like that that that's and I'm not necessarily a person that would pay to see Garth Brooks, but Right, um, but but he's, you know, somebody who I, I think there's plenty of people that would and it's just that the ticket price is too steep. Like you would have to and yes, I know that's what it would cost to get into a real concert, and yes, I know people that put things together and events and stuff need to work and I respect that and I feel bad yeah. that, you know, this is happening to them, but at the same time, like it's just not in the marketplace. It's not feasible that someone wants is going to pay a hundred dollars for that. Um, you know, knock it down to twenty five per car, and you're you're back in business. I think, but it's uh, yeah. yeah anyway. I, I mean, it, there's that's something I have coming up to that I have to deal with. Is there's a a, a conference that I was going to be going to, you know, this fall. Yeah, uh, and now they're doing it all online, which is fine. I've actually done online scientific conferences before. They're they're kind of interesting it's a different format but it works um it's just different well the the registration for this is in your pre- underwear, so it's yeah it's great um you have a talk <laughs> with no pants on uh but no the um the registration fee is pretty close to what it would have been no it's not super close but it's still very steep um, yeah. considering we're not going anywhere and i understand that a lot of that is because this organization as as well as i'm sure many others uh, we're making plans to do things in person and had to put reservations on things, and now they're kind of stuck with some yeah. of those. Uh, because, like you said, everybody's trying to get paid. Everybody's trying to yeah. get paid for the job they do and did. Well, it's, and just, it's unfortunate. You know. I think everybody's hurting because of it. But um, the Doctor Who convention that I go to every year, uh, Chicago TARDIS, is doing their whole convention online. It's been moved online. But they... Everyone who had already had already bought a ticket, they actually just bumped it to 2021. Ticket is your ticket, but we're still going to give you access to all these events online, included oh. in that. So they literally are just giving us a free online convention and still get our ticket for 2021, which is pretty amazing. That's a pretty awesome thing to do. But that's that's cool. So shout out to them. Pretty much everything they yeah. do is awesome. It's good people run that convention, but it's yeah, it's just yet another example of what a great group they have so that's so cool yeah i mean i like the innovativeness i like how people are figuring out ways of doing all this stuff i, ho- I hope more places continue doing delivery 
curbside pickup and you know this it's just going to be a change it's a continued change Um, i'm seeing it even with as i prepare for the you know academic school year to be starting this week uh, and moving all of my courses online there have been online courses for a long time you know for universities but i think we're now starting to see a larger embrace of what can be done in an online community and i still think that you know there's some things you do need to have the hands-on to learn of course but there's a lot that probably could be done online and let's find new and exciting and fun ways of doing that i think you know anything that we can do that's not just sitting around groveling would be fine (laughs) yeah but and that you know is also great because it frees me up to while i'm teaching courses i can also be watching movies as we prepare further episodes of the video junkyard podcast (laughs) that's right talking about silver linings that's uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is actually uh, something the movie we're going to talk about tonight. That was a a watch while creating lecture content for an online class. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's, but, uh, uh, part of, part of it was watch while I was on the exercise bike for me. So I guess that's kind of <laughs> see. Yeah, it's like I said, I've I've watched more movies done. and read more books in the last year because of like this kind of stuff. Not exactly this, yeah. this kind of stuff. So. But yeah, I guess without further ado, uh, tonight we are going to be... We have no good segue for this one. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> no, we're I was be trying watching... to come up with one and I'm nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> well, and there's... I'm, I'm stalling. There is a reason oh, yeah. I think part of that is because if you did a thematic pun for this one, it might direct you to a more popular film that came out the same year. No, oh, right, yeah. Because the movie that we're talking about tonight... Is the 1990 American supernatural horror film Stir of Echoes? I saw a guy who got a two inch needle stuck into his arm while he was under hypnosis, didn't feel king. Okay, Kreskin, prove it. Hypnotize somebody. Yeah, do me. No. Come on. What's the worst that can happen? Close your eyes. know that song are you okay what the hell did she do to me he hasn't gone to work he sleeps like 12 hours a night why are you digging the man's switch got flipped he's a receiver now she's taking him away she was here what's the problem it down he can't even figure it out no whatever door you open in my mind i want you to shut so this one was written and directed by rather famous screenwriter david cope um yeah. and it's based on the 1958 novel a stir of echoes by richard matheson very famous sci-fi horror author and it stars Kevin Bacon, Catherine Irby, uh, Ileana Douglas, and Kevin Dunn. The basic concept, if you haven't seen Stir of Echoes, um, Kevin Bacon plays Tom Witzke, a uh, Chicago phone operator who begins experiencing a series of frightening visions after uh, he is hypnotized by his sister-in-law. She awakens something inside of him. Um, and it's... I don't, when, do you remember uh, the first time you saw this one? Yeah, I think I saw this one when it was pretty contemporary. Like, um, not theaters, but like pretty much right away when it came out on video from um, some pretty solid word-of-mouth reviews from just people I knew. Um, I might have been working at the video store when this came out. When was it, 99? Yeah, September yeah. of 99. Yeah, absolutely. That's right when I first got my job there, sometime around there. Um, so, yeah, it was a new movie. Um probably even watched it on the job because that's what i used to do got paid to sit around and watch movies those were the days but (laughs) the um yeah i I remember liking it quite a bit and um but it was one that like i i don't know i kind of viewed and and went "Ooh, that was that was good that was above average i enjoyed that and then kind of went on in my life and never thought about it again so okay 
Um, but yeah, I well, remember there were a couple people I knew that were like big time into this movie. Like they, it was one of those ones that they were like, "You got to see Stir of Echoes. You got to see it." I didn't really get that bug for it, but I certainly remember enjoying it. Well, the the thing that got me about this one is literally a month, a little bit less than a month before this came out. Um, or I guess it was about a month, was The Sixth Sense, the M. Night yeah. Shyamalan movie with, with Haley Joel Osment and uh, Bruce Willis, which, let's be honest, stole all the thunder when it came for any movie that's going to come out in the next 30 days about a little kid that talks to dead people. Yeah. It, it just... and But really, it, and this is something and I don't want to you know spin the review around entirely on The Sixth Sense, but um, I, I think that it bears mentioning that these two films have some very similar themes, especially having, you know, a creepy kid that can talk to and hear and see ghosts. Um, Absolutely. The Sixth Sense had a really famous twist ending. But that's... That and some of the shocking visuals are what I've noticed most people remember about the sixth sense but when it comes to because i tried to last night my, my wife and i sat around we tried to actually recap okay the sixth sense what was the basic story there <laughs> i remember the twist and i remember these creepy scenes but what was like the narrative the plot stir of echoes i remember I remember the basics of sixth sense but yeah you're right stir of echoes like you would i wouldn't have had to hesitate a second i could tell you what that movie was about like right and i could tell you things that happen and it's a very linear storyline so my whole point is Sixth Sense got all the uh, all the attention, I think, because again, very, nothing to say about performances. I think they're pretty even on that one, but Stir, uh, Sixth Sense got all the, the the press, I think, because it had this twist ending. Stir of Echoes is probably a better film as far as a story. It's telling a much better linear, good ghost story, good creepy story. Um, I think you could you could make a strong case for it's equally as good, better, and. I think they have different strengths, um, but yeah, yeah. I think you're, I think yeah, you're onto something with the fact that it definitely needs to be mentioned, especially because they came out so close in time to one right. another that they definitely need to be mentioned as you know contemporaries and equals in my mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's, um, I don't know. I think it's the same kind of thing when you look at you know movies like The Matrix and The Thirteenth Floor, which came out right about the same time, and uh, they have very similar themes. Dark City, for that matter, which we brought up on mm-hmm. the podcast yeah. about a year or so ago. You know, there are these clusters, and we've noticed this on the show before, too, where you'll have a movie that comes out, and it's accused of ripping off something else. Keep in mind that movies take a year or longer to get made, usually, right? So the, the ripping off is not always true. In many cases, it's just coincidence. Yeah. Right. Uh, in this case, were... I mean, the only thing that could potentially have been a ripoff is them sharing the Matheson influence. Because I, I doubt M Night Shyamalan was totally unaware of, you know, Stir of Echoes or at least stories that were similar to that or influenced by that. And I'm not, I'm not saying Richard Matheson invented the idea either, but being that right, was, yeah. But anyway, so they 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 certainly share some some roots as well. Yeah. But with Stir of Echoes, this is one... I, I don't remember the first time I saw it. I'm pretty sure it was shortly after it came out on video. Um, but I, I remember really liking this one. I owned it on video for years. And uh, re-watching it for this, I was I was pleasantly surprised how it held up. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, the, the performances are really well, really good. I think the story is solid. Um, and it has some genuine, creepy, cringy moments. Um, not not really cringy in like the social <laughs> way, but cringy like oh god that fingernail popped off that's making me cringe. Yeah, okay. that 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 is a memorable thing I remember from this movie is some of the like stuff that kind of cl- floats close into the realm of body horror that is happening to to Tom Witzke in um, this movie as you know as his mind is kind of um, bending due to this you know his new ability to kind of. Um, and the other reason I guess it's similar to the sixth sense is that's generally what happens to him. He gets hypnotized, and his brain is all of a sudden turned on, or this part of his brain is turned on that wasn't on before. And now he's able to, you know, kind of see things as they are, quote unquote. And um, yeah, he starts immediately getting 
contacted by the the same entity that has been speaking to his son, who is somebody who is naturally turned on. You're awake now, Daddy. You okay? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I just don't feel so good right now. Don't be afraid of it, Daddy. I guess one of the things um, that I, I'm like dying to bring up, so let's dive into it because I kind of went into the sun, is the 1958 Matheson novel, Stir of Echoes, I have not read. New, Right. You mentioned I haven't you haven't either. Yeah. And it, to me, I don't know what is in the book and what's not. I do know that Cope's screenplay does diverge from the novel. And he was, when he showed it to Richard Matheson, he was a little worried that that would offend him. And Matheson actually ended up being an experienced screenwriter himself, ended up being very um, understanding and even ended up embracing the film as, as, you know, basically giving his stamp of approval on the changes that they made. So I don't know what's there in the mo- in the book, but um, I'm interested to know if perhaps this, you know, psychic child um, and his relationship, which wasn't developed well, but with some of the other psychic characters in the um, book, especially the police officer that uh, contacts the mother and talks mm-hmm. to him at the the police funeral. Um, what role they play in the novel and how much influence uh, that had on Stephen King when developing The Shining. Um, because that's all I could see was those two characters and their relationship there. So um, kind of a long tangent, but I know that Stephen King is constantly saying Richard Matheson was one, perhaps his biggest influence as a writer. Um, sure. Um, a lot of... A lot of uh horror writers and filmmakers uh, cite Matheson as well, and you can see his, his influence, you know, one of the most famous being Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the entire zombie subgenre we would not have as it is today if it wasn't for George Romero. Yeah, but we wouldn't have Night of the Living Dead if it wasn't for I Am Legend. Yeah, so... And we're not talking about the Will Smith movie, guys. No, we're not. <laughs> we shall Literally, not speak not. its name. Um, <clears throat> it, well, it, we just did, but the good one, not the bad one. Just don't say the bad one. Just say the good one. Yeah. Um, but it, I think in this one, yeah, I'm not sure either what characters or if, if the basic story... And again, this is something... It's only like 200 pages. I should just read it. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the basic story, you know, what what characters are? Is it just about a guy who gets turned on, you know, this ability, and all of a sudden he's, you know, seeing creepy stuff? Because um, that basic concept could be really obviously elaborated out here. What I really like about this movie, and once again, I'm going to say this as a comparison to something like The Sixth Sense, just because, you know, one month apart and very, very similar in that theme. Um, this has quite a good little mystery plot to it. Like a yeah. whodunit kind of a thing. Um, which it almost kind of starts off in a like a what the hell's going on more than a whodunit, and then slowly kind of drags you into like, oh, okay, there's a murder mystery yeah. going on here. Yeah, exactly. And and it's one of the things I I judge a movie by is its rewatchability. And this is one has tremendous rewatchability even though there's a little mystery there it's a good mystery you're, you're kind of along for the ride with this guy which is really creepy um but at the same time you can go back and watch some of these other characters and pick up things that were there the whole time and that's always fun to do but you can do it every viewing right i've noticed personally for me with the sixth sense which i enjoyed you had the first time I watched it, which was like, oh, wow, big twist ending. You can watch it another time to catch all the stuff you missed that pointed towards this twist ending. Hmm. And I don't really get much out of it after subsequent viewings. Yeah. Because, again, the story is not that good, I don't feel. It's not as engaging as this is, as this kind of every guy who is suddenly experiencing these horrific visions, you know? Um, So, I don't know. I kind of feel like this is a bit more accessible. It has better rewatchability um, than the one that got more attention than it. You can already see where my grade's pointing. 
Um, and again, <laughs> I'm determined not to turn this into a, another review of The Sixth Sense, but I, I think that... We'll save that one for another time. Um, right. But I just, I want to keep mentioning, because there is that direct comparison between yeah. the themes, and, and the way we're telling a story about this type of thing is very, very different, and here it's more memorable, but yet I... I would actually almost feel like this is one of those movies where if it's on, you watch it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it is kind of one of those movies. And I think a lot of the reason is, well, the, the, the contrast to The Sixth Sense is The Sixth Sense is a uh, movie that's entirely set up to pull off its ending. So it's, yeah. it's carefully put together and, and masterfully even. Like, he does mm-hmm. just a, a fantastic job. He's never able to real get to that point again in his career, it seems like. Yeah. But uh, does a fantastic job of just masterfully pulling that off. Like, it works in every way. That's what's impressive about The Sixth Sense. So I do agree, like, once that's done, once the carpet, you know, once you've seen The Wizard behind the curtain, um, yeah, it's fun to go back and kind of look at how did he pull it off, but then, you know, how many times can you do that before you just kind of be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm done with this. The, the, the thrill has left because I'm, um, you know, I'm not going to get wrapped up in this. I already know what, where it's going. Something like Stir of Echoes... Um, Although, of course, the mystery is going to be revealed because that's the way, you know, we tell mm-hmm. these, a story like this. Um, it has other things going on that is um, interesting. Uh, to me, those th- few things are um, the fact that it is linked to hypnotism and the opening of the, like, human brain. Uh, not something you often see in what is, quote-unquote, a ghost story. Um, so it's kind of set up and I'm not going to say like hypnotism and like the fact that you can like get inside of somebody's brain and kind of turn pieces and parts of it on and off is that realistic, but I think it grounds it in a place where we are getting an explanation for his experiences that grounds it in a way that a lot of ghost stories don't. A lot of them, it's just like, Oh, you know, we moved into the spooky old house on the street and everybody said they don't like to go into the spooky house and now there's stuff happening in the spooky house, you know? Uh, this gives you like this really grounded, you know, Witzke's this guy that, um, a relatable down to earth kind of working class Chicago guy. Um, and he is a total skeptic about all of this stuff. And all of a sudden, bam, he's plopped into this situation, grounds it with the hypnotism and the stuff about like the human, you know, the psychology of it. Um, and then bang, you're into this ghost story, but it gives it that extra little sense of believability, and that really helps this movie um, compared to a lot of its contemporaries and a lot of like the, because this is not a story we've that is high, even at the time when this is made that is highly original. We've seen this story, sure, even the murder mystery aspect of it before, but those are the things I think that make it unique. And the number one thing on that on my list of things that makes this unique, enjoyable, and rewatchable is Kevin Bacon's performance in this movie. It's probably for me, and I have to really think this out and stare at his filmography, but this is one that stands out of one of my favorite performances of his. Yeah, I would agree. It's um, you're seeing a lot of different reactions uh, in this one. You know, there's there's even some minor comedic things or kind of dark comedic things. Uh, <laughs> a few reactions of his, like particularly when he there's a scene in it where he has this, he wakes up and gets his boots on one of the boots is underneath the the couch he notices a note on the door from his wife and then he walks into his living room and one of his neighbors is there and there's this really weird interaction and then he wakes up and that was all a dream but he starts going through the exact same things and he goes into the living room and he's he's looking at the couch and he just goes please don't be under there and as soon as he sees the boot (laughs) under he's like oh shit um you just like this kind of a cute little moment to kind of show like the, like he's he's picking up something's wrong but he doesn't even know the full extent of it yet um yeah. yeah so just some of these little subtle things honestly one of the things i really liked about this too was and i think you could probably t- speak to this more than i can but the portrayal of the uh, chicago neighborhood block parties yeah is spot this... fucking on <laughs> the portrayal of living in north side you know white chicago is so spot on that it's almost like it could have been shot on a street I lived on. You know, it's like, yeah. And in a it shot in a neighborhood that I've been to many times. Like I, I know the area and, um, it feels 
so authentic and i think it's because david cope is from this region he's from wisconsin actually but uh chicago milwaukee would have been his you know big cities that he was around growing up and as a young man um but then um he i don't know just that's one of the things i wrote down is like this feels very authentic like it is exactly like the block party is like um i'm not sure there's quite as many at least not on a street i lived on quite as many you know cool mid-30s people that are just hanging out and having <laughs> exactly. house parties and stuff but hey i mean it, it suits the movie um, it, it was a good well then again the, the baby monitor that works perfectly <laughs> well across the street yeah where does that inside exist? someone else's house yeah yeah jesus christ i mean i well, sat I mean, up watching it the like, other day going bullshit on that one <laughs> yeah we, we've all <laughs> we've actually always used uh we have uh amazon security cameras Oh, okay. Uh, that we've used for baby monitors, so they'll literally work from anywhere. So we could be like out at dinner and you know be checking on the ba- the kid, the baby, and the babysitter, and all that stuff from you know miles away from somewhere. So that's kind of cool. Okay, but it certainly wasn't possible in 1999. No, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. And if the movie is dated a few points. There's some lines about you know ooh the upcoming year 2000, which I thought was kind of yeah. funny. But well, and it's it's another one of those movies you throw cell phones into this at any point and it starts to fall apart. Yeah, um, and not that you have to. It takes place in 1999. It's fine as it exists, but like you'd have to consider some of these things re- if you were to remake it now. Not that you couldn't do it. You could write your way out of those kind of problems, but um, yeah, yeah, well, you know, cell service is down or whatever. That's yeah. yeah. It's always your go-to. It's just like, and I don't know. There's n- nobody has a charger. <laughs> my phone is dead like yeah yeah which is actually ever since ever since i got hypnotized i keep forgetting to plug in my phone yeah well he <laughs> lost it or some shit but no i i was um overall really pleased to rewatch this one it's uh, a good soundtrack too really good use of uh you know paint it black from the stones mm-hmm. uh, which was yeah. used heavily in the marketing for it but actually the scene when he's being hypnotized I really, really love uh, when, yeah, when I like she's the they walking him through his what he's seeing. Like you're in a theater, he imagines being in a small theater waiting for a play with a bunch of other people, and she's like, "It's an old movie theater," and the scene changes, and you're alone, and the people vanish, and the walls are black, and they go fading to black, and it was, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was very, very impressed how well that whole thing uh, held up too, because it was yeah, a bit I... gimmicky, but it works really well. I enjoyed that scene a lot, and I was reading about it, and it's probably straight off of Wikipedia. But um, David Cope said that the reason he decided to do that is because in almost every film he's ever seen that has features a scene of hypnotism or is about hypnotism, it always stays out with the room full of people, and the hypnotist never goes and inside the head of the person being hypnotized and lets you experience what that might be like, you know? Um, so he, yeah, he, he wanted to actually follow you know tom witzke into the hypnotism and um yeah and also you know also because it, it totally makes sense because we're, we're following tom's definitely our main character he's our gateway into the story he's the character we follow you know he's we understand what's going on with him when everybody else doesn't so it makes sense that we go under with him you know instead of stay out in the room to watch what's going on um and i think it makes it that much more effective because you really have no you don't you have just as little idea as he does about what happens when he's under so it sets yeah. up the mystery it starts the mystery rolling about you know what exactly happened that kind of stuff's always honestly kind of and maybe this is the reason why this movie is uh works for me in a lot of ways is that although i i am certainly a healthy skeptic more so than a healthy skeptic probably a realist in almost always but um the hypnotism stuff like the fact that somebody could you know say the right words to you or you know put you in some sort of a trance and just fuck with your brain um and you know totally rewire you or something is something that always kind of just i i wouldn't i I wouldn't even go as far as worries me because i'm not even trying to believe that anything like that is possible but it's kind of a creepy concept right that you could be just controlled by somebody you know whether it's something as as harmless as you know being told to act like a chicken or whatever in front of a bunch of people to make them laugh um or you know reveal all of your financial information let somebody rob you blind or you know who knows whatever um 
But they're not going to change you fundamentally. I mean, but I can see where that kind of builds. Think about how many, especially in the 90s, and even in the 80s too, but how many places claimed they could get you to stop smoking with hypnotism or get you to lose mm-hmm. weight with hypnotism. And in some cases, I, I've heard that there is some degree of success with, you know, post-hypnotic suggestion on things like quitting smoking. Yeah. But it's not, like, guaranteed. It's, it depends if a person is... It, it, from what it seems, and I'm not an expert on hypnotism or anything like that, <laughs> uh, but it, from what it seems like, it, it, just from what I've gathered, and I could be totally wrong, but that if you're the kind of person that could quit smoking from hypnotism, you probably could quit anyway. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like the hypnotism is just another motivational thing. It's there to give you the push and the subconscious to push you along, (laughs) right? But what what I but I agree with you that you know it is a really disturbing concept whether it's factually possible or not um, to like rewire somebody's personality like Manchurian Candidate type shit, you know, Uh, Winter Soldier type thing (laughs) through hypnosis Mm -hmm. and um, even though it's like, but I get what you mean. Like I, I know that's probably not even really possible but ugh, does that give me the creeps <laughs> yeah to me that's i think that's why i like all that lovecraft shit is because the whole idea of seeing <laughs> something so horrific you go insane i mean what the hell does that even mean but right you know that's but just it's scary that's, it's like the but concept it, is terrifying like yet the concept doesn't even make any sense but i'm still like don't care i'm on board which is just well, total wait. yeah <laughs> i don't want to digress too far into like a totally different discussion <laughs> But we all know that, like, you know, fear and, and to you know, to a certain extent, to bring this into a real place that's unpleasant, yeah. unfortunately. But, like, fear and trauma definitely does these really crazy things to your brain. Physically alters Absolutely. your brain, right? Absolutely, And yes. so, I think that's, that's an intuitive way. Like, his writing, like, saying that, like, maybe you can't imagine what it's like because that's, you haven't seen it and you don't want to because this is what it does, you know. And it, just the way it kind of could totally alter yeah. the person and writing about fear in that way i think it's still i mean unique to only a few writers that i know of but i think it was the extent that lovecraft you know he's you know he was like somebody saw one thing and now they're in a padded cell just rocking you know like mm-hmm. oh, okay well maybe <laughs> but yeah still creepy Depends concept what that thing is like <laughs> right i don't know honestly i think if um i underwent hypnosis and could suddenly start seeing all of the details of, like, a murder that occurred in my house, yeah. um, and my kids were talking to dead people, I would probably start going a little nuts. Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, and especially once uh, you feel like you stop having control over your, like, you know, Kevin Bacon's character in this movie. Um, you know, he's being compelled to do things. And, and some of it is, you know, his choice. He's trying to solve this mystery, but there's certainly a, a strong... Um, sense that he's being led and suggested by this ghost as well, like the you know the I need to dig scenes, which is also another kind of semi-humorous uh, moment in the movie. But um, oh, I can't tell you how many many like, times I've wanted to turn that into a GIF <laughs> and be like, "What are you doing this this summer? I have to dig." I mean, I have um, to dig. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some really strange and the kid helping him out that cracked mm-hmm. me up too. What's he doing? He's helping. Um, Don't worry, it's not over there. <laughs> yeah, it's not over there. There are some really kind of good, like I said, dark lines like that in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, this is one that I, I feel like I should own it and watch it more. Um, like, it, it, this is kind of an unsung, really good movie that I don't feel like gets enough attention. Because anytime you talk yeah. about late 90s movies about kids seeing dead people, of course, one movie pops up. Well, and right. I don't, well, don't want to try to... Give this more credit just because I'm trying to, like, you know, thumb my nose at the sixth sense, which I'm really not. Like I said, it's fine, but it's a Hugh Brown, it's a different kind of movie. This one is a little bit, I feel, like a more solid story. It's a solid film, uh, and it just doesn't get the attention. And Kevin Bacon is excellent at it. Kevin Dunn is really good in this, too. Yeah, he is. Yep. Probably should, yeah, mention him, and he is, um, I guess we didn't mention like really what the the guts of the the story is about, but because uh, you really don't find out till the end, so heavy spoiler territory if anyone hasn't seen it. But um, Kevin Dunn plays the father of a boy who witnessed and was like the 
kind of cohort in the rape and murder of a young teenage girl in an empty house on the street ends up being the house that you know tom and his wife and child move into and the girl being the spirit that or whatever that Mm -hmm. is you know in contact with him post post hypnotic suggestion and um yeah he's he's really good because i he kevin dunn that is and he Mm -hmm. starts off kind of being a creep a little bit like you're not sure what you think of him um and then he get, he becomes a, not that he's ever not a creep because obviously his reaction to what you know he's aware of this and he's trying to protect his son, but he becomes a a much more complex character. And you know, you put yourself in a in a position like that as a parent. And I'm not saying I understand what he's doing, like his reaction, but um, it's interesting when you get you know villains because technically these are these are the villains of this film, right? The people that you know committed and are covering up mm-hmm. this murder um who are relatable vulnerable and you know complex and i think that he comes off by the end of this thing as being all of those things and uh actually makes quite a great performance out of it so. yeah there's um so yeah you've got kevin dunn playing frank mccarthy and his son Adam and Adam's friend Kurt Damon, like you said, were involved in this really, really unpleasant situation with this 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 young woman um, who had some special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, she ends up dying. And then you've got actually uh, Kurt Kurt Damon's father, Harry Damon, who's played by Connor O'Farrell, is uh, he's a police officer, I think. Yep. I believe so. Although they don't really dwell on him, but I think you see him in uniform at least once. In yeah, and he makes a comment thing. about like you know when I retire and I'm no longer wearing the badge, kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, they they're really the ones that are really kind of psycho in this. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, essentially it was two parents or parents that were covering it up, and I I don't know. I mean, yeah, Dunn kind of does come out to be a little bit more you know a bit more of the the good guy in a way um yeah but was still i mean he, he covered up he comes around i don't know if he ever gets he he i don't think he could ever redeem himself and be called a good guy at that point because of going along with this but he comes around to you know that it was the wrong thing to do and you know eventually comes around to actually trying to help out a little bit at the end but one thing too that I noticed about this, um, just we, we usually try to talk about you know some aspects of, of uh, how socially relevant a film is when we mm-hmm. review them. Uh, you know, like would it be made today? I think one thing in this that would probably still stick if this film were remade today is the entire story, side story of the girl and the assault and the accidental murder, the cover up. I think that would all stay. Because this yeah, movie was making so. some really strong statements about, um, you know, the the negative connotation of the blue line. You know, like you don't rat out, you know, corrupt cops kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the boys will be boys. You know, you've got assault, sexual assault. Um, I think those would still be there. And I think it's kind of interesting movie in 99. These were all of the things that were the villains were associated with. And, yeah, but again, this so it was a little bit ahead of its time for being aware of this. You know, like there's a reason those villains were chosen in this care in this character. You know, character right. study. Yeah, so no, to speak. I, I think if this movie, if we're really going to do a, you know, we're going to make Stir of Echoes or at least something similar to this version of Stir of Echoes now, 2020. I think you are looking at something that would actually not only hold out of those elements, but probably emphasize them. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think diving into, actually, you know what, I mean, I'm going to change my mind. I was going to say diving too much back into, um, what was her name? Samantha Ozak or something was the, the name of the girl. Um, diving too much into her backstory, I was going to say might not be the right choice, but I actually think you could have done a little more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
once you know have him because he at times Tom Witzke is seeing some you know he would he finds her corpse he touches the hand and he gets the you know the backstory but we really only see the event of her death right um you could have you know have him getting hints of this life of hers all the way along and seeing maybe maybe it would be even more cruel i don't know i mean i don't know how she was treated obviously somebody with special needs it might have just made them even more sad and affecting but maybe that's exactly you know what where you would go with that story um and i think yes they would certainly play up the the aspect of how women can be marginalized how you know boys will be boys and like the protect the pack type of mentality in a you know american male psyche especially you know the police officer and his son it's kind of you know that same kind of protect the the cop club you know kind of thing um, sure but yeah I, I so i think all of those things are super relevant and um I think it's been it's interesting that I, it's been a while. These were a dime a dozen, I think, at the time. Ghost stories were a really big thing, you know, psychological thrillers, um, which I, I think is a little bit different than a straight up horror film. This definitely falls on the kind of the side thriller side of things, but they were kind of a dime a dozen right around this time because of the Sixth Sense, and especially a year or two after Bang, they were everywhere, um, and. I don't. I think we've actually gone we're going through a period of time right now where this is not a popular type of story. So, seeing something along these lines again now, with some of the you know more modern sensibilities, might be it might be time to retell this story. Yeah. Not that you like literally remake Stir of Echoes, but I think something along these lines could be very done very well and very effectively now. I agree. Yeah, I I think this would be. Um kind of a fun one to to revisit um and see what they would update but the the other thing is i don't know if we need to because this really does work well in the time that it's set in and it yeah it's like i said it's got a few dated lines but and i guess like you know this thing would be pretty much eradicated with a cell phone but <laughs> right you know you can well, say like about the a lot of movies element so it of it when it gets down to yeah. the yeah there is a really cool sequence when he's trying to go to a chicago wolves game and they hire a babysitter, and the babysitter ends up being the sister of the missing girl. And she takes mm -hmm. the little boy Jake and runs off because she has this freak-out moment because he's talking about talking to her dead sister. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the, the visions he's getting, the red flashes in his vision, letting him know, like, warning, warning, is something that was really a cool sequence. It was very simply done, but it was mm -hmm. a really cool way of showing, like, you know, this is how I know where to go. This is how I know what to do. I'm getting warnings. It was, again, just like with the hypnosis, they're showing you from their perspective rather than just, you know, on the outside going, oh, I'm seeing things, you know. Yeah. You're actually seeing it themselves. So that was really cool. I, I mean, I think you kind of nailed, like, the simplicity of, of the movie in a lot of ways. It's straightforward narrative. Um,. I think that's that's kind of one of its charms. So things were done in a simple manner. I think the only like kind of gambles he took were like that hypnosis scene was different. Like that was something mm -hmm. like you but you wouldn't possibly see in another movie. Um, but the rest of it doesn't. I'm not saying it doesn't take risks necessarily, but like it, it it's it doesn't try to present you. It doesn't try to trick you in any way. Like the Sixth Sense, it doesn't try to present you with you know, like we've talked about so many times in the '90s. Doesn't try to present you with a confusing or non-linear narrative to hide things from you. This is right. going to tell you. It tells you the whole story as you know, as you're seeing it through, through Tom being the main character. Um. Yeah, so I, I think that's actually one of its charms and one of the things that works the best for it, um, is is its simplicity. So, narratively and stylistically. Sure. So if you had to give this one a grade, what do you think you'd do? Um. This one is definitely going to be on the positive side. I do, if I had to make one criticism, and I know you've kind of just said nothing but good things, if I had to make one criticism, it is a little bit... I know I just... I'm going to piggyback just praising it for this exact same thing. But it does have a tad bit of a generic, possibly like TV movie feel to it at times. Mostly sure. times when Kevin Bacon is not present, because I really feel like he steals the show here and, and elevates this a bit. Um, 
not that anybody is bad in this, and not that it um not, not that it's ever bad or hokey, but it it just kind of gets that kind of like stylistically generic feeling to it at times. Um, that also could be in hindsight because there are so many movies that come out in the next few years after this that are similar to this. So yeah, maybe that's not really this film's fault that it kind of becomes you know not the most original thing in the world, but. Um, but ultimately, it was really well done. It's it's watchable, like you said. It, it plays fine, just almost as good in twenty twenty as it did in nineteen ninety nine. Which is which, as we've been discovering, you know, throughout the last hundred and fifteen episodes of this podcast, that is not always the case. Um, in fact, it is often not the case. And um, it's uh, I don't know. It's um, it's a story like it's a familiar story we've heard a lot of times and. It's, even though it, it could be a little hard to be excited about, I feel like it's told in a way that it just keeps it interesting. Um, you know what? I wish they would have done a little more with this. is This is a little long, long-winded, not related to my grade, but the group of like psychic people that reach out to that boy. I, I wish we would have dove a little further into all of that, and not so deep that it would yeah. defer you from defer you from the main narrative. Because I like that this is about Tom and it's about the murder. And it's about, like, that's the story we're telling. But I would like to see, like, a little bit more of what's inside of that whole world that's out there. Yeah, um, all you really see from is them yelling at the one guy to close the door. Yeah. You're aware that this exists, and they've kind of reached out to the boy, right? And and that's it. Yeah. Um, obviously, she, you know, the, the wife and mother character is taken into that, but we don't ever see what... Well, she goes there for exposition. Song. I mean, you know, she, right. she meets the cop, and he actually gives her the card for the dad. He's like, I can tell the kids got it, but we really should be talking to the father because he just got switched on. Yep. And instead of giving Tom the card, she just shows up, and it's like, what the hell are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. He was. And then you get exposition. Yeah. And that's it. And so it is a bit mm, on that end. I'll, I'll give you that. Anyway, yeah, to go on grading, Kevin Bacon's great in this. It, if it's not my favorite of his performances, it's certainly among them, and I have to think about it. Obviously, he's great in m- more movies than just this, but um, yeah, overall, I think it's it's really... I guess the best description I can say for this is this is a well-made murder mystery. It's, it's more a murder mystery than it is a ghost story or anything else or a horror movie or anything like that. Um, but yeah, and I also really love the way it was grounded kind of gave it this like basis again i use the word reality with a grain of salt but I, I like matheson's idea of how we get into this story and and i assume that comes from matheson and then cope screenplay obviously does it well so i'm gonna give this one a b i think i had b minus written down but i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna pop it up to a b because i really think i don't i don't have a whole lot bad to say about this i enjoyed watching this again so. i i think i'm gonna go a little bit higher um but I understand what you mean. Like, it, it doesn't take a ton of risks. It does in a few scenes. It is kind of a, a pretty simple, linear story. Um, but it's got a lot of rewatchability. I think the performances, especially Kevin Bacon in the, in the lead, is really, really good. He, he plays this, like, Chicago every guy perfect. But he he's kind of known for doing that at the same time. So it's not like they got an actor that was really stepping outside of something he'd done before. It, it is a very safe movie when it comes to not taking too many risks, but I think it pays off that way. Uh, it is a, a good murder mystery. It's a good ghost story. It's a good psychic, supernatural thing. It doesn't break too many, you know, it doesn't really, like, break any sound barriers or anything like that. But it's solid. And and I feel like, again, the, the, being able to rewatch this one uh, for 20 years says something about it. You know, when in that same amount of time, I've maybe seen The Sixth Sense three times. Right. And again, you know, I enjoyed it. It was popular, and it was it deserved. It was deservedly so. But this one, I feel, kind of got shortchanged because it's a really solid film. So I'm actually going to go with an A minus on this one. Um, it has some dating to it, and it, if you're looking for something that's really going to like send you down a rabbit hole, it's not going to. But it's a, a it's a pretty solid kind of like you know, ghost story murder mystery. And yeah, there yeah. was a whole rash of them after this, but um, but if you're looking for anything that's harder. hardcore horror, either this is not your movie. No, like no, yeah. 
it's it's a pretty safe supernatural thriller. And uh, and yeah, I I would love to know what any of our other listeners think about this one too. Yeah, I was gonna say I would hesitate to call it safe because I really think for 1999 they they you know they didn't shy away from um, the depiction of sexual assault and not that it's graphically depicted, but like I really feel like in movies back then they would just imply that stuff and not right out come out right and tell you. Um, yeah, and so that was that could be shocking. Maybe more in 1999 than now because I think we're having this discussion as a society now, but. I think it was brave at the time. Yeah. Well, I'd love to know what anybody else is thinking, though. If you have any thoughts, questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms about either the uh, movie or if you can fill us in on some of the details of the book before we have a chance to read it for A Stir of Echoes, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, You can send us an email at videojunkyardpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a tweet at Video Junk Pod or find us at the Video Junkyard Podcast Facebook page or join the Video Junkyard Podcast Facebook group and get all the updates and the first shares available of our episodes when they drop every Friday. From SoundCloud, and where you should probably be following anyway. But, yeah. <laughs> and coming up on the Video Junkyard Podcast, we will be continuing to select our films from the 2B TV service. And um, Tubi is a app that has a, a free streaming app that is ad-supported, so you will have to watch a couple commercials. But trust me, it's worth it. Their selection is out of this world, and I really can't recommend them strongly enough. That is why we have, you know, during the quarantine, started to select everything uh, from Tubi. Other reason is that we, uh, as our listeners, can always listen or watch along with us for free, which is uh, important to us because, yeah, you, you get some of those episodes where, oh, the only place we can find this movie is obscure movie is for like forty dollars on a dvd and it's not streaming anywhere and it's out of print and it's this and that and uh so that you know certainly does happen especially when you're talking about cult movies so we uh yeah just gonna stick to tubi so you guys can watch along with us it's a absolutely free service and uh, i can't really recommend it highly enough so we will be selecting another movie from that we'll let you know what it is uh, probably the Monday before it airs is when we <laughs> when we remember. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, sometime early that week. We'll let you know what's coming up on the show. We want to thank everybody for listening and checking us out once again. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And until next time, this is Joe Peterson. I'm Eric Branson. Have a good night. Have a good night. I'm supposed to dig. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go! Stay on the road. Keep clear of the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. On Twitter, at Video Junk Pod, and on Instagram, as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening, and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard.